This is Make Yourself at Home, a podcast that examines the biggest issues facing commercial real estate at this time of crisis. I'm Miriam Hall, I'm BizNow's New York reporter. After widespread protests against racial injustice that swept the nation this summer, many in the industry said they stood in solidarity with movements like Black Lives Matter and vowed to put equality front and centre. So, to get an understanding of where the industry is at, we at BizNow started looking at the gender and racial diversity at the top levels of the country's biggest real estate companies. The first of these stories from this analysis examines REITs, brokerages and commercial real estate finance, and they're now all publishing on biznow.com. These stories paint a picture of an industry that has a long way to go. So today on the program, we're talking to Ken McIntyre, the CEO of Real Estate Executive Council, a trade association for executives of colour in commercial real estate. He's also on the board of Newmark, and he runs his own consultancy firm, Passport Real Estate. He started in banking and transitioned into commercial real estate. At that time, during the 1980s, he was one of just a handful of people of colour in the industry. I started by asking him if he thought a lot at the time about being one of the few black people in the room. Race is always on my mind. You know, as I, as I, everywhere I've been, everywhere I've gone, I have to recognize that I'm, I'm a black man in America. And so I always have race on my mind. So I, that's kind of my mindset. With respect to what I do and how I do it, I, I try to push that aside as to the extent I can. That may sound uh, hypocritical, um, but that's, that's kind of, I, I don't, sit at my desk looking around saying, wow, there's nobody else like me here because that's been the case for most of my life. So it's more about, well, how to, what are they doing and how can I do that? And so it wasn't, it was never really on my mind. And I guess, let me, let me just take it back to when I was at school, the first day of school, almost every year of my life, I lived, at, I lived in a not, a not predominantly black neighborhood. And I went to a, a school that had very few blacks in it. First day of school, I would come home. My parents would ask two questions the first day every year. One, do you have any black teachers? And the answer was almost always no. And two, are there any other blacks in any of your classes? And generally there weren't, um, you know, where occasionally maybe um, if I wasn't, if I had a class that wasn't an honors class, then I might have somebody of color else in there. So that was the view the lens through which I view the world. Hey, you know, you're the black guy and you know, there aren't a lot of blacks around you. So being in that environment, I was not uncomfortable. I did not dwell on it. I did not let that be the way I made decisions, although it was the lens through which I saw the world. We've run a series this week looking at diversity in the industry, in the commercial real estate industry. And specifically, I was looking at brokerages. Um, and one person I spoke to, I spoke to a lot of people, you included, of course, was a broker at Marcus and Millichap. And he told me when he started out in the 90s, someone said to him, this is a racist business. You're not going to succeed. Did you hear anything similar when you were starting out? And have you heard any sim- anything similar since? No, I did not hear that. I can be very blunt. I did not hear that. That was part of the benefit of being on the lending side, because if the developers didn't like me, they liked the product I was trying to put in front of them. And so, you know, I don't, I don't recall experiencing directly any racism, but that doesn't mean that there weren't clients who 
called my boss or my boss's boss and said, could you send somebody else here? And I know of one particular instance in my career where I was, I was applying for a situation and um, I had met with almost all of the principals and everything was positive. And then I met with one particular principal and he continually said, well, you know, you'll have to meet with all of our bankers. And I said, well, I'm currently one of them and I do business with all of them all the time. So I, I, they know me and they know who I, I am. But he was like, well, but, but, but you'll still have to meet with them. And the code he was saying was, we'll be playing golf with them at clubs that don't allow black people. I, I, I figured that out later that, you know, the way he did business was on the golf course and he and, and either he or some of his bankers belonged to clubs where I would not have been allowed and therefore would have hindered my ability to do business with him. And I, I didn't get the job. And so it, it's interesting that things like that happen in your career. I didn't know. I didn't see it at the time uh, later when I didn't get the job. I, I kind of put two and two together. So do you think it is a, a racist business? Um, I think it's a business that has, uh, that's built on relationships. And that is the tradition that, that the, the way business is done. Um, I, I'm not one to call an entire industry racist or an entire business racist or even the individuals in the business racist. Um, but I think that the view, the lens through which they view how they can get future business um, may be one where they don't necessarily think that people of color can, can be as productive for what they're trying to do in the future as maybe other, other people may, have, may be. And, the, and, you know, it's the same, same challenge that women have. If all the decision makers in an industry are white and male and can go to white and male places, um, then people who don't, that can't go to those places are less apt to be productive um, going forward. And that's been the, the tradition of the industry. Although, you know, my vantage point now is that's dramatically changing um, and that there are many people of color and, and obviously women also who are in positions to influence how decisions are made and so it's important to be able to um, connect with them in order to get business going forward. You told me you think that brokerage is one of the least diverse elements or the least diverse facets of the commercial real estate industry. Why do you think that is? Um, well, again, it's, it's reinforcing what I just said. If, if you're a senior broker in, 19, in the 1980s and maybe even in the 1990s, um, or if you, you came up through that time period, um, almost everybody who you were going to get business from was a white male, almost everybody. And so if you were going to meet with a white male and his, or his, and his partners, um, which probably were more white males, um, it, it behooved you to bring somebody who could connect with them as a junior person so that they could, um, so you win the business. It's about building relationships and, and connecting. And so if you looked and you had a young black guy or you, and you had a young white guy, which one were you gonna bring to the market, to the, bit, to the, the meeting? You know, you'd bring the guy who you thought the, uh, the client was gonna to relate to. Um, you know, the, the, the bridge 
that sometimes made that overcomable was was sports, right? So if the young black guy was a really good athlete, um, had played with some people who who they knew, then you know maybe he he had a better shot. Um, and if he'd actually been professional or something, like that, then he had you know he had some star power, then he made it. But you know I, I think um, managers made decisions based on the ability to get productivity from their talent in the future. And if all the decision makers were white and male, then it behooved them to connect them with somebody who was, was going to be able to make a connection there and, and get future business. In your trajectory, you came up through the lending side. So it was a kind of slightly different then, are you saying, where you had, they needed your product. They needed you. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's very, very simple. Um, you know, I open my briefcase and it's full of money and the guy next to me opens his briefcase and it's full of money and, and they, they, they see the green. And, you know, if my briefcase had more money than the others, I, you know, I all of a sudden became a friendly face to them. It's pretty straightforward. Bought and greenback seem to be. The- <laughs> <laughs> Translate very well <laughs> in the capital intensive business. So we got that information about the C-suites of commercial real estate for this series that we're running at the moment. Just 93 roles that we looked at were filled by people of colour. Another stat for you, there's more than 690 people who sit on the boards of 68 companies that we looked at. We found that there are fewer than 100 people who identified as people of colour in those roles. So obviously, you know, there's private companies as well whose boards we can't really look at um, and we can't confirm the numbers there. But I mean, when you hear stats like that, what do you think about them? I mean, what kind of improvements would you like to see? Um, The question I ask is, um, do, do the people who make those decisions understand that the that their 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 boards or their c-suites or their workplace is not getting more diverse um and i say it this way demographics tell us that the country is getting more diverse and if you as an organization or a group is not getting more diverse then you are fighting demographics you know it's kind of like fighting gravity if you can float over the earth then it would be nice to know why I'm floating over the earth. Why am I, why am I able to fight gravity? So if you understand why your organization is fighting demographics, then you should be comfortable with the group you have. Um, uh, but I think very few of those organizations or groups have ever thought of it in the context of, wow, how come we're not moving with demographics? What are the forces within us that allow us to fight against this this law of demographics, this force of demographics. And so I think when, when if organizations evaluate that question and come to grips with that and they say, no, we're comfortable with where we are because all of our policies that fight demographics are ones we've reviewed and make, make sense to us and do not negatively affect our ability to meet our constituents and our shareholders' um, objectives, if they can say that, then they should feel justified with their boards as they are. But I, I doubt that's the case uh, because it's hard to appeal to all constituents in all areas of the population if you don't know, if you don't have representation of those 
parts of the population in your decision-making body. I got an email, you know, I get emails about stories every write. Um, and someone wrote me an email this morning saying, quote, why are you promoting success and accomplishment based on skin color instead of performance? And that, quote, overlooking the most qualified white man just because there are too many white men on the board is just as bad as overlooking a woman of color because she's not a white man. How do you respond to that kind of comment if you ever hear it or sense it and, and everything that's implied within it? Um, there's a, a, a misconception that's embedded in that comment that um, every hire and every board member and every person in the C-suite is the absolute best person for that role. Um, that can't be true. If, 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 if Blackstone has hired the best person already, you can't hire them too. It does not work that way. What needs to be understood is that there are basic competencies and hopefully, and maybe even experiences that the, the, the talent needs to have in order to be able to fulfill the role. And there may be many people who have those competencies and abilities, capabilities to fill, fulfill that role. And it's at some point, somebody makes the choice. And if the choice is always made to select the white male, then studies tell us in the long run that will impact the efficiency, the um, profitability of the organization because the absence of diverse thinking and diverse input, particularly in a world that's becoming more demographically diverse, is eventually going to impede your ability to be profitable and also optically be desirable as a place to work for the next generation of talent. And that's an immeasurable opportunity loss that firms need to understand, that if talent doesn't view you as a place to go and work because your board doesn't look like the population or the community that they come from, then you're, you're missing out on that, all of that talent. So that one decision about one person in a board seat can affect your talent pipeline for a very long time in ways that you'll never be able to measure the effects. That, that comment that I just shared with you, that email, I mean, do you think that that, that prevailing idea comes from a place of fear that like there's not enough space um, left and that there's not enough to go around? Well, uh, unfortunately that that's, that's kind of what, that's kind of what it is. It, it, it comes across as this is a zero sum game. And if we give that seat to a woman or a person of color, then there's a white male who didn't get it. Okay. A qualified white male too. He could have. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe, you know, that may be true. Does that mean that there'll never be another opportunity for that qualified white male? And and the flip side is, why is it that the woman or person of color is presumed to not be qualified? And and that that's the challenge. And so it's a matter of if um, you know how much overqualified does one need to be in order to, to overcome the fact that you're not white and male.
What did you think about the widespread reaction from the real estate community this summer in response to the mass protests against racial injustice that we saw um, in June and then continued throughout um, the year? I mean, many of the real estate companies pledged to do more, stood in solidarity to Black Lives Matter. I mean, as a person of colour and as someone who you've said to me has been thinking about being a black man since you were a child in school, how did you react to the industry's reaction? Well, it was it was important from my perspective for the industry to be the, for it to be brought onto their screen that this is a reality of, of 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 members of the black community that 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 there are these racial injustices and 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 inequalities and then let's not for, let's not leave out COVID right and and COVID's disproportionate effect on communities of color um, is 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 a is a uh, uh, um, an outcome of the social ills of, of decisions that have been made in America about you know food deserts and and access to healthcare and and access to opportunity access to health insurance and and just the ability to have jobs that enable you to to sustain yourself better or, um, and so. That this has been going on has been the underbelly of American society for for a long while. Now, people marching in the streets brought it to everybody's attention, right? And the news cycle brought it to everybody's attention. Um, what is what was frustrating to me? I'll I'll say that say it that way is um, the response. It, um, when the response was, okay, let's find out more about this and see what we can do, that I saw as a positive response. When the response was, well, we've been addressing this already and we're going to do more of it, that was just plain tone deaf because what you've been doing has resulted in people marching in the street. So really the, not jury, enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the jury is in. <laughs> That's not the answer. <laughs> um, and so, um, you know, the, the, what, what we at the Real Estate Executive Council tried to do was say, hey, we're not for profit. We're committed to this mission that will help you um, get to what you say you want to get to. Um, and the idea is you've, you, each of your firms have tried to do it on your own. And this is where we are. So maybe we should be working together and working uh, uh, like with a, a, a mission-based organization to support you to get to where you want to get to. And, and so I'm, I'm going to go a little off topic here uh, or, or maybe jump to your, your uh, question that maybe you haven't asked, which is, um, okay, since then, what's happened? And, and, My next and, question. Yeah, there, there you go. So I... I and, and so I, I just want, I want to usurp that question, if, if I may, um, and say that um, change happens in small steps. And let's not five months later expect that you know, everything has changed. That, that's just not how I operate. Um, but I do know that many things have been put in place and, and are in the process of being put in place that over time will make material changes. 
But right now, I can't sit here and say that the statistics you quoted earlier have, have changed dramatically in the past six months. Um, uh, it just doesn't happen like that. So I, 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 don't, I don't subscribe to the frustration of you know, change taking a course that, or amount of time that I believe you know, it, it, it's going to take time. Were there people or were there companies that you felt really did say, okay, what we've done isn't worked. Um, this isn't, we're not going at the, we're not going in the, the, the direction that we want to, or we're not going there fast enough. What can we do and have since implemented maybe not overnight changes, but things that will lead to long-term change? Um, yes. I, I, I mean, there are many and uh, the real estate executive council, many have reached out to us. And many have, uh, are talking to us about partnering with us, which is exactly what we have asked to build. And, and, and one of the things we wanted to do was make sure firms expanded the definition of diversity. Because very often it's just, well, who have we hired and, and who have we promoted and, and how, do we, how do we deal with the talent? And talent is one dimension of diversity, but where you spend your money, um, you know, supplier diversity, vendor diversity, that affects communities, um, that affects people getting hired, that affects entrepreneurs, where you invest your, your money or who you invest it through, whether it's investment managers or in partnership with, with minority-owned developers, um, and when, whether those minority-owned developers work in communities that you're not currently investing in. Those are important par aspects of how you can improve your footprint with respect to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the, the big part of that is, as, as you become intentional as to where your money goes, that starts to talk about the equity part and the wealth gap. And, 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 and it's, it's nice to hire people of color and, and to promote them and to retain them. Um, but if you hire an entrepreneur of color and he's able to hire more people because he's got a contract with you, he or she has a contract with you, that is a virtuous cycle that starts to change communities because now you have more people working and those people working become role models for the youth in the community and and it goes on and on like that so we've expanded that that conversation about what diversity means and there are many firms who are interested in working with us as diversity partners um, to to execute on that on that framework and we're in we hope to announce um a, a slate of diversity partners um, in early December, um, and then continue to build on that that found that, that foundation of partners um, throughout the next year or so. But does that mean that just as important is say having X amount of people of color on a board, but also employing a minority-owned subcontractor on a project is as important? Is that what you mean? It, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm not, I can't say it is as important. I'm just saying there are different dimensions that you should be pushing on on all all sides, right? And and one side is yes, you should hire people, and yes, you should have diversity on your board because hopefully the diversity on your board will also reinforce and be a role model for for the talent that you bring. And I, I, just just real quickly, you know the the. The idea that the talent coming in an organization doesn't look at what senior management looks like, 
um, don't 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 undersell that. Uh, I, I, it, uh, you know, maybe for me that wasn't the driver, but uh, I, the conversations I've had over the past year, uh, many people are, are like, yeah, I looked at their website, and I didn't see any women in senior roles, so you know, I can't work there. I mean, and that 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 that's that's just that's just something that organizations need to be aware of. So, so talent is, is, is important, but that's not the only thing that you, uh, I'm asking you to focus on. I'm asking you to say, hey, um, you look at how much money you spend outside of your, your, in your budget, outside of your company every year, how much that goes to minority owned firms. And, um, you know, again, this goes back to, are you always hiring the best firm or could you possibly hire a firm that is qualified that could do just as well a job and maybe grow with you and maybe even have a little, you may get more of their attention uh, because they're so appreciative of the opportunity that they don't want to mess it up um, because they want to get the next contract with you. Um, and, 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 and again, the power of that decision is, okay, if, if you currently spend 5% of your money with minority owned diverse uh, well, suppliers and vendors, I'm not asking you to jump to 30%. Uh, but if you are want to be true to your, your public statement about racial equity, um, pick a target, 7%. 10% pick a pick a time frame one year two years three years do something but be intentional about it and know that if you do that and every firm around you does that the change will be meaningful it will be meaningful and the same way with where you invest your money uh, if you invest if you only invest in the suburbs um, that's great maybe you make good money in the suburbs but maybe there's somebody you know who invests in the city and if, if you could co-invest with them and they know how to do the city really well or they know how to do a, a, a minority community really well, could you allocate some money there and have a positive impact um, on that community? So there are different dimensions. How would you rate your hope level right now or your positivity level? With respect to the, the real estate industry and its momentum towards diversity, it's clearly as great as it's ever been. And it's definitely on the front burner at, at almost every organization. The challenge is how sustainable is that? And how willing are people to hear these hard conversations over and over? And now the light shining very brightly on it will society continue to respond to that bright light or will it just fade away? That's why, you know, we have organizations like Reese that this is our mission. Uh, we will be doing this. We've been doing it for almost 20 years now, and we will continue to bring more and more talent into this industry and give that talent the competencies and the support to be in position to be productive and successful in this industry. And we're, we're looking for partners, to, diversity partners to work with us to be able to build and in, increase the size of that pipeline and identify those competencies so that the talent that we're working with will, will, will be in position to be successful. But as this moves from, if, if this moves from the front burner to the back burner, um, it will always be front burner for us. 
Ken, thank you so much. Appreciate you making time and it was great to have you on the podcast. Right, thank you so much. I appreciate you shining light on this. <laughs>